one thing that I want to to bring to your attention is simply this, and and it's a it's a sad reality. Um, a very sad reality that around the world, and I'd say especially in, in this nation, uh, global missions is kind of losing its momentum. It's losing its support. It's losing its backing. More and more churches are dropping their missions budgets. And they're, they're, there's this move away from something that is so absolutely critical and essential to this world. Are we not called to send people out with the gospel? We are, aren't we? And at Chapel Hill Church, we will not back down from that at all. We will continue to embrace the, the, the vision and the mission that God has given us to reach this world. And, and we get to play a supportive role. We get to be in prayer. We get to send notes of encouragement. We get to connect with missionaries when they're here. Uh, we also get to respond to needs and to situations. And I just have to share with you the, the reality of what Steve and Jenny are facing right now. Their support has dropped. And they have a need. They do not have enough to get back to Croatia and continue on in the ministry that God has them doing there. And so I want to ask you this morning, if you will just consider, pray about, and move towards your part in meeting that need. Uh, here at Chapel Hill Church, we support them as missionaries. We have them in our, in our annual missions budget, and we're faithful to that. Um, the way that we can increase that for them is through your giving. And if you will give to our missions budget, then we can increase our support for them. And so I want to ask you for that, okay? It doesn't have to be right now. We're not going to pass a plate right now. You weren't ready for this. That's okay. But as our missions budget grows, we will meet the needs of our missionaries. We will step up and give where we can to make sure that what God's doing through them on the field in Croatia continues. And so as you give, if there are ways that you can give more than what you're giving, please give it to our missions budget. Our missions fund is doing really well, our outreach fund. We want to increase that. So if you can give, uh, if, you're, if you're writing a check to Chapel Hill Church, just put on the memo line, Global Outreach, and, and we will get it to the right fund. And then as that fund grows beyond what it is now, um, we will do our part to, to meet this need, to, to fill in this gap that exists for the Meekers right now. So can I just encourage you to do that in the days ahead? Will you help us to do that? We want to do that as a church. And uh, we were able to help get them here and take care of some of the, the financial needs that they had just to travel and get to different places in the U.S. Um, we want to continue that so that they can go back and carry on this ministry that God has given them in Croatia. So let's do that together. Okay, Chapel Hill? All right. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one as we dive back into the book of First Peter. So if you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will get you a Bible that you can use as we get into our study again. And if you're receiving one of those Bibles and you currently don't have a Bible of your own, just keep the one that you receive. Um, we want to make God's word available to everyone at all times so that they can find him there. Now, we've spent some time looking at the introduction to First Peter. And I want to point out something um, as a bit of a review before we get back into it this morning. Um, what I want to point out is the fact that the message that's in the introduction to First Peter is not a message that is exclusive to First Peter. This thought, this sentiment, this message is available in other places in the Bible as well. God has spoken it through his people as his Holy Spirit led them to write the scriptures. 
And so I want to visit another place in the Bible where you're going to hear something very similar to what we've looked at in the introduction of 1 Peter. So turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at some verses there just to kind of set us up. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to read from verses 3 through 14. And I think you will see how incredibly similar this is to what God is speaking to us through Peter. This was spoken through Paul to the church in Ephesus. And here's what he said. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Already it sounds like Peter. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us. There it is again. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. That's what we're looking at right now from Peter. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace. With which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Also parallel to 1 Peter. According to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, there it is again, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, there it is again, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Remarkably similar to the message we've been looking at in 1 Peter, isn't it? So obviously God's doing something here. Is God trying to tell us something? Of course he is. The, the foundation that we're reminded of in 1 Peter was not unique to 1 Peter. It's a foundation that God's given us in many ways. He's pointed it out in all kinds of different ways, using different books in the Bible and different means. It's where he wants us to operate from. It's our foundation. Remember the foundation that I stood on over here and felt taller for a day? It's that foundation. That's what, that's what Peter's talking about. That's what Paul's talking about. And then last week, Peter Herzog, the other Peter, took us on to the next section of this letter that we're studying together. Um, He looked at 1 Peter verses 13 through 17 with us, chapter 1, verse 13 through 17. and, And here the apostle Peter starts to write about holy living, something that we're going to be looking at for a while as a church because he has a lot to say about holy living. And Peter pointed out a couple things related to that holiness and that holy living. He talked about two things that I want to just bring to your attention as a reminder. And I'm using this as my, my reminder of, of this little thing that we ought to be doing regularly with the word of God. Okay? Um, Peter dug into these few verses that we're looking at. And he found a couple of things. He found a couple aspects on holiness that we're to keep in mind. And he talked about the ethics of holiness. The, our ethical responsibility. He also talked about relationship and our relational responsibility in holiness and where we connect through these things, what it means to be holy. He began to unpack the definition of holy. 
And so he pulled these two things out of the passage that we're looking at. And I'm going to go right back to that same passage this morning. Because there's more in the basket. And that's the way it is with God's word so many times. Um, I'm 50 years old now and I'm still going back to verses I've read a hundred times and going, Oh, I didn't see that before. And pulling these things out and then I share it with you guys. And I love that. I love that God's word is so rich and has so much life in it. And so we're going to pull three more things out of this brief passage today. So turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And let's read verses 13 through 17 again and get us back into this. If you see, if you have in your Bible section headings, um, the one in mine is called to be holy. This is what we're talking about. This is what Peter's going to write about for a while. So in verse 13 of chapter 1, he says this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And let's stop there. Think back to the foundation that we talked about in the introduction to 1 Peter. How do we respond to a God who so generously provides us with this kind of a foundation to stand on? What's our response to be? How do we react to that? What do we give back based on what he has given us, which is so bountiful and so firm and so strong? How do we respond to this? How do we respond to this foundation? And remember what that foundation was like? There was so much that Peter's covered in there already. Just in the introduction to his letter, he talked about the fact that we're chosen. We've been known by God from before time. We're being transformed by a God who is close and active in his lives, even to the point of coming right inside us by his spirit and transforming us from the inside out. We are being asked to be obedient to a perfect shepherd who has our best in mind. We've been forgiven and made holy. We've been given a second, a new life. Born again, he said. We've received a living hope. We have an inheritance waiting for us and even available to us right now. We're being guarded by God to receive that inheritance at the end of time in its fullness. Our salvation is being completed. Our faith is being grown and deepened. The praise and glory and honor of Jesus Christ is coming our way when he returns. So much has been done for us. So much has been given to us. Our foundation is beautiful. So how do we respond to that? How do we respond to that? And I am going to talk about more than just saying thanks and then writing it out till we get there. Because that's not what Peter's saying. This is what Peter is embarking on in this section of his letter. What is our response to God based on the foundation, on the blessing that he's given us? What is it to be? Out of these verses, I've pulled three things. The first response that Peter addresses that I can see is simply this. And I'm taking another orange out. Choose hope. That's the first thing that we can look, that we can see here in terms of our response to God. In response to what he's done for us. 
Peter says that we are to choose hope. He calls his readers to set their hope fully on the grace that's coming in Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully, he says. And you have to hear Peter's tone in this. Because Peter takes a tone. And it's found in the kind of language that he uses. When he says, set your hope fully, this is what's called, and this makes no sense to me, so don't ask me afterwards, what does that really mean? Because I don't have a clue. This is what's called an aortist active imperative. Okay? This is an aortist active imperative. That's the kind of language that Peter's using. What does it mean kind of by that? It means that this is a command, military-style command. Chapel Hill, set your hope fully on Christ. That's a command. That's something that we're to do. Now, wait a second. If that's a command, how do we just drum up that feeling? Okay, let's start there. Maybe hope is not a feeling. Maybe hope is more than that. Maybe hope is a choice. Maybe it is an act, a deliberate act of the will. And it is. Forget the maybe. Hope is a choice. We choose an attitude. And God's calling us to choose hope. Peter is telling us, choose hope. Set your hope fully on Christ. That is a command and it it requires an active response. There's an action that we can take and we can deliberately, intentionally choose hope. That means that hope is not based on our circumstances. Hope is not something that just comes and goes. Okay, we, we finally got to see the movie Inside Out last night. So all the little cartoon emotions in this movie, right? Hope is not like that at all. Hope is not this thing that just kind of comes when things are good or when some chemical reaction happens in our, in our brain or whatever. Hope is not one of those things. It's not wishy-washy. It's not like, oh, when things are going real, really well, I feel hopeful. When things are going really bad, I feel hopeless. That's not the hope that God is calling us to. He is telling us to choose hope. To choose to live Like the future reality of God's coming grace is our present reality. And it is. That's our right now. There is nothing that will change that because God is going to fulfill his promise, period. And we have that hope and we need to choose that hope no matter what's going on right now. Do not let yourself get caught trying to drum up hopeful feelings. Choose hope. Don't sit back and wait for it to come to you. Choose it and take it. Set your hope fully on the grace that is to come. He does not say set part of your hope fully on this and then try and figure out how to feel hopeful in the midst of all this. Set your hope fully on the grace of God that is coming in Jesus Christ when he returns because he is coming back. And that's where our hope lies. Choose it. Hope is almost synonymous with the word faith. Faith is trusting God in the present because of what he's done and is doing. Hope is trusting God with the future and what he will do because it is guaranteed. 
And that's where we put our hope. We can hope now fully in what God will do as if he was doing it right now. He's called us to that kind of hope. Peter says, set your hope fully on God's coming grace because it'll be as real and reliable as his past and present grace. It's there and we can lean into it. We can lean into him and his grace with everything that we've got. We can choose hope. This passage is very similar to, to other passages and other books. Again, just like we saw with the Ephesians passage. Um, so just listen. You don't need to turn to it. But listen to uh, a passage from Titus right now. I want to read you a few verses from Titus as we move on here. But you'll see again the similarity. It's just absolutely remarkable. T- Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. This is what Paul writes here. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people... Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, just like Peter's saying, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Nearly an identical message to what Peter's giving us. Is God trying to tell us something? Of course he is. He's trying to remind us that we were not created to look for hope in our circumstances or in any other source than in the grace of God. We were not created to experience even one moment of hopelessness in this life. We were created to set our hope fully on God's grace and live there. But we have to choose it. We have to take that action. In light of God's graciousness and faithfulness, we choose hope. In light of his perfect salvation in Christ, through which we've been forgiven for all of our sin, past, present, and future, we choose hope. In light of our transformation from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, we choose hope. God's been faithful in the past, he's being faithful in the present, and he will be faithful to all his promises in the future. So we choose hope. Our choice. God's children are to live by his grace in a state of deep, confident hope. And you know what kind of impact it would have on your life if you could just set your hope fully on Christ, don't you? It could change all kinds of things for you. It makes a difference. It affects so many areas of our lives. We would be anxious less if we set our hope fully on Christ, wouldn't we? We would. We would discover more of the joy that's all around us that God has for us if we would just set our hope fully on Christ. We'd be more willing and ready to offer hope to those struggling around us if we ourselves set our hope fully on Christ. Think of what we could teach and demonstrate for our children Yesterday, we were part of a, of a parenting seminar here. It was fantastic. And they talked about our foundation and how essential it is to have our foundation established in Christ because it affects the way we parent. That's got to be in place. And then when it comes to connecting with our kids and coaching our kids and correcting our kids, we can follow God into that because our foundation is secure. Think of what we'd have to offer our aging parents. 
If our hope was set fully on Christ and we could show them that that's where their hope is to be as well. It would deeply affect our prayer life. It would deeply affect our worship. Things wouldn't bother us or throw us off nearly as much. And God would receive more glory in our lives than ever before if we just set our hope fully on Christ. God wants this for you and me, Chapel Hill. And so through Peter and others like Paul, God invites us to set our hope fully on the grace of God. He invites us to choose hope, even in the midst of a world that's filled with hopelessness and despair. It's one of his many gifts to us. Choosing hope is a critical part of our response to our generous father. The next part of our response that Peter addresses in our passage that we're looking at today is a call for us to embrace holiness. That's the next piece that I pulled out of this passage Peter calls us to embrace holiness. He talks about holiness. He talks about it being ours and that this is something that, that we're to embrace. And in the letter of 1 Peter, we're, we're going to spend quite a bit of time now talking about what it is to live holy lives in our world. It is essential that we listen well over the months ahead to Peter's instruction on holy living. Throughout the Bible, we're called to be holy. And so let's understand this as we move into what that looks like. Let's go back again to 1 Peter 1 and verses 14 to 16 and just remind ourselves of what Peter said here. He said, as obedient children, it's in the context of father and child again, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We're called to be holy. Now, does anybody in this room share the fear that I have when you see the word holy and we're told to be holy? This word terrifies me, thank you very much. Because we have a big image of holiness, right? And one of the first things that comes to mind is perfection. God is perfect. And so we're supposed to be perfect. And that's a scary thought. Holy is a scary word. Holiness is a scary word. But Peter refers to us as a holy priesthood and as a holy nation in 1 Peter. How? Were the people of Asia Minor in those churches perfect then? No. So what do we do with this? Let's put some effort into building a a working understanding of holiness that's really, really important for us moving forward. Because if we continue to think of holiness the way that we often do as being we have to be perfect, we're commanded to be perfect, um, we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle with everything that Peter's going to say. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive for perfection because God is saying that. But let's take it a piece at a time and figure out what this means to us every day in real life. What is this going to look like? So at a very, very base level, holy means different. Now, can you deal with that word? Difference a little easier, isn't it? For some, for, for the conformists in the group, it's like, oh, no, that's scarier than holy. Uh, <laughs> different. Just lock that mind in your head. Different. We're different. And we're to embrace how different we are. We're to embrace it. 
Now, there are words to describe holiness, such as morally pure, upright, blameless in heart and life, victorious. All of these things are part of the definition of holiness, but it's not the whole picture. And we have to understand more and more of the picture. I'm not going to cover it all today. We just can't. But it is something that we know full well we've been called to. So let's dig into it. Let's wrestle with this. All of these words describe someone who has been set apart. Okay, let's expand different now to set apart and build on that a little bit. We are someone different. We have been set apart by God. God sets us apart from a common use here in this world to a sacred eternal use also here in this world. He makes us holy. He calls us holy. He works out the process of becoming holy daily in our lives. He calls us to holy living. And his work is involved in this. And our work is involved in this. We both play a part in this. Are we a holy nation? Yes. Are we to live holy lives as his people, as God's people? Yes. And we're going to learn how as we work through First Peter here. We're going to look at it very closely. Set apart. Different. Holy. Let's talk about that. This does not mean that we are to flee this world. It does not mean that we are to isolate ourselves from this world. We are not going to become a society of monks. So... Just relax. That's not where I'm leading you. Holiness is also not a competition that exists when God's people come and find their way together and hide away from the world and then compete to see who's holier. That is not what holiness is. But it's a temptation. It's a trap that beats people down in the church so much. Because we believe for some reason that we are supposed to be set apart, which means we're supposed to come together away from the world, get away from them, and be this little secret society that has a different set of rules, and then we compete with each other to see who's better at keeping those rules. That is not holiness. We are to be different. We are to be set apart in this world, here in this world. And we're to embrace how different we are. Embrace it. How? Embrace it in the way that that you view life, in the way that you view people, in the way that you respond to this world, in the way that you carry yourself. We're to embrace it in the way that we talk, in the way that we love, in the way that we serve, in the way that we make decisions, in the way that we do marriage, in the way we raise our kids in the way we solve problems, in the way we work, in the way we prioritize, in the way we spend our time and our money, in the way we lead, in the way we live, we are different. As followers of Jesus Christ, chosen by God to be set apart in this world for his purposes, we are different. Embrace your difference. Embrace that. 
As holy people, we have a position. We've been set apart in this world by God. It's our position. We have a pursuit, and that is holy living. Ethically and relationally, holy living is to be our pursuit. And we have a purpose. And it's God's reason for setting us apart. The sacred purpose that he has given us in this world. Chapel Hill, don't run from this world. Don't run. Embrace your position in this world as holy people chosen and set apart by God for his purposes. And what are those purposes? Well, we're going to dive deeply into those purposes as this series progresses. But Peter gives us a hint when he talks in chapter 2 about declaring God's excellencies in this world. We, God's holy people, are the light in this world. It's why this series is called The Light. And as Jesus pointed out in his own teachings, his desire is that we do not hide that light, but that we let it shine brightly as holy, different people in this world. Embrace holiness and be different for the right reasons. Let the world see that you've placed your hope fully in Christ. That's different. Let the world see that you have a living hope that's different in this world. Let the world see that you believe that you have an eternal purpose that's different in this world. Strive for something more than this world or this culture can offer. That would be different. Embrace that difference. But to be that kind of different, we're going to have to heed Peter's words to no longer be conformed to the passion of our former ignorance. Those words match very well with Paul's words about not being conformed to this world in Romans 12 too, don't they? Perfectly. The two of them have been trying to tell us so many of the same things. We put a lot of effort into conforming to this world. And then acting like we're different when we're with other Christians, don't we? It is so much easier to be the same out there and save the differentness for in here. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. I know it is. We just want to be accepted out there, right? We want to fit in. We want to belong. And then over here, there's this voice saying to us, but you're strangers and aliens here. You don't belong here. You're to be different here. And you're to embrace that difference. I think many of us need to repent of all of the effort that we put in to trying to just not be different outside these walls. And stand before God and offer up our lives to be set apart be different to be who we've called to be and to live holy lives so Peter's going to take us through some specific ways in which we can live holy lives as we do this study together and we'll dig in we'll see what's in the basket of every verse pull it out and make it real put it into practice commit to it try it 
let's just touch really briefly on the third thing that stands out to me from this passage. Um, Peter has helped us to see God's desire for us to choose hope and to embrace holiness in our response to God for all that he's done for us. And in these few verses, he also points out the need for us to cultivate honor. Look at what he says again in verse 17 of chapter 1. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He's talking about cultivating honor. There's something in there about how we view our father, how we respond to our father. And and the word fear scares us a little bit, but he's talking about honor. He's talking about cultivating honor, about treating God, our father, with honor. And listen, what's, we, we, are, we are children of God, our Father. What, parents, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? How about honor your father and mother? Which we pull out on our kids on a regular basis. <laughs> hey, guess what? It applies to us too. We're to honor our father. Because he's our father. All this hope and this holiness we've been talking about, it all comes within the context. And you saw this at the beginning of our passage, within the context of a father-son, father-daughter relationship. He loves us like only he can. He's our perfect father, and so he gives us a living hope. He makes us holy. He's our father, and he loves us. He pours all these things out on us. He builds this foundation for us to stand on, to live off of blesses us over and over and over again and therefore we're being called to honor him with our lives holy lives that are lived for him how do we respond to the grace of our father how do we respond to this foundation that he's given us we choose hope we choose it we deliberately choose it we set our hope fully On Christ and his coming grace. We embrace holiness. As a response to God we say. Yes you've done all this to set me apart. So I will embrace my differentness here in this world. I'll be that guy. I won't fit in. I understand that. But you've set me apart father for something sacred. I will embrace my holiness. And we're being called to cultivate honor. In the way that we interact with our father, in the way that we respond to our father, we treat him as a child is to honor his father. Here's the key to all of this. How are we to respond to what God has given us? How are we to respond to this blessing laden foundation that he's built for us? Well, we're to respond. Just start there. We have to respond. How can we not In light of all that God has done for us, in light of everything that he's given you, in light of who you are and what your future holds because of God, respond. Do not sit back and take all that for granted. Respond. How? Choose hope, embrace holiness, and cultivate honor in your relationship with your generous, loving Father. That's what we're setting out to do. And may God guide us to live our lives as a response 
to him and his grace. We're going to have the ushers come now and the worship team as well. Let's pray while they do. Father, once again, we stand here just absolutely amazed by your generosity, by your compassion, by your mercy, by your grace, by your love. By the reality that you're our father. Oh God, we love being your children. There is no way that we can miss how deeply you have blessed us. God, I hope that we're learning that that blessing is not, well, you've blessed us with perfect circumstances in this life. We've got lots of money. We have a beautiful home. We have a perfect family. That's not it. We know that you have blessed us by your grace and that that grace is the thing that we can set our hope fully on. So God, be patient with us as we learn to do this. As we strive to choose hope as we strive to embrace holiness and understand what it is you're showing us here, what it is that you've called us to, as we try to raise the bar in our lives and become more and more like Jesus. Guide us and and bless us as we do all these things. And as we cultivate a relationship where we honor you every minute of every day. We need your help in this. We need your spirit. So bring your Holy Spirit and fill this church. Fill us as individuals. Fill us as a family, as a body. And let his work be done in our lives. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thanks for being right here with us. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.